Romans 10, Paul says, beginning in verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to buy jealousy to those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. And I was manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And Father, we just humbly pause to ask for your spirit's help and grace this morning to be able to understand these scriptures that you've inspired by your spirit and given to us for our edification and learning and understanding of who you are and who we are and what the will of God is. We just pray that your word would be as you said it was this morning, that it would be profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness so that we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you have for us as children of God. Help us, Lord. Prepare us each accordingly, mentally, spiritually. You know what that means. We ask that you would ready us to receive your word and to hear what your Holy Spirit would say, and that you take away that which would distract or hinder, and that you would bless your word and speak to us through your Spirit's ministry, we ask expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Two words as we begin this morning. One is responsibility, and the other is rejection responsibility and rejection you know those two terms it seems that there is two truths that are connected to them and that would simply be this would you agree that nobody likes rejection would you agree with that by the same token would you agree with this it seems that nobody wants to ever take responsibility isn't that true as well nobody likes rejection And nobody, it seems, ever wants to take responsibility. Well, regarding rejection and responsibility in relation to spiritual life, the Bible teaches us this, that God is the one primarily who is on the end of experiencing rejection from mankind. And secondarily, God also holds humanity responsible for their personal choices and their actions and their decisions. As we look at this passage together this morning, we'll see various aspects, if you would, of responsibility and rejection being played out in these verses here. Now, again, remember Romans 9, 10, and 11, sort of a section in the book of Romans as we've been studying it together. Romans chapter 9, as we saw, primarily 
deals with God's election of Israel. Had God chose them sovereignly by his grace to be his special and chosen people. And it was a chapter that really emphasized the sovereignty of God. Romans chapter 10, which we are now in, primarily addresses Israel's national rejection of Jesus. And Romans 10 is a chapter that primarily emphasizes the truth of human responsibility and that we have free will and are accountable and responsible to make a decision of what we will do regarding God's Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, as Paul opened the chapter, he indicated how he was greatly concerned and had a heart's desire and prayed to God that he would see his people Israel get saved. And yet Paul then declared how erroneously the people of Israel as a nation were kind of uh, worshiping or clinging to their law and all the traditions of the religious leaders. And instead, they were rejecting Jesus Christ, God's Savior, that had been sent to them. And in our last study together in the prior verses in Romans 10, Paul declared there the simplicity of salvation. And he showed how the salvation that God's offered through Jesus Christ is so accessible. It's so available to anybody, to anyone. It's universally made available to all. And it is so simple to grasp and understand and experience by just putting trust in Jesus Christ and calling upon the name of the Lord to save us. In fact, the last thing he said, look in verse 13, which is where we transition to this morning's verses. Paul just said, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever realizes they need to be saved and therefore calls upon the name of the Lord to save and to help them will experience such by their faith and crying out for that. Now, having just said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul then continues verse 14 saying, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So verse 14, Paul asks now a series of questions, and what he wants to do here for us is indicate the importance and the necessity of there being people who would serve as messengers to bring the message that people need to hear in order to call upon the Lord to save them. He says, how can people really believe upon Jesus, and how can people call upon Jesus if they've never heard about him, if they've never heard about Jesus, which shows us the first point we want to grasp, which is this. There needs to be a clear presentation of Jesus given to people. It's imperative that there be a clear presentation of Jesus given to people amongst humanity. People need to have a clear proclamation and presentation of who Jesus is that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world, and that he is God in human flesh. And we need to clearly explain to people who Jesus is and who he's not, because there are a lot of wrong ideas about Jesus. There needs to be a clear presentation of Jesus regarding why he came and, and what he did, that he did come to this earth as the savior, and he came to die for our sins upon the cross, that he lived sinlessly and died sacrificially and substitutionally for our 
punishment upon the cross and what he now offers, therefore. There needs to be a clear presentation that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. And he offers the hope and the gift of eternal life. And that as a risen Savior, he's able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede. And there needs to be a presentation that Jesus does put forth a request for people to respond. That Jesus does say that you must believe in me. He does say you must come to me. He does say you must follow me. And people need to understand that Jesus does beckon for people to respond, to respond to him. And that message being shared, Paul is saying to us, is important. In fact, he says it's, it's critical in order for people to come to a place to then believe upon Jesus. Again, if, if I could illustrate it this way, if people are trapped in darkness, they need light in order to then find their way out of the darkness that they're trapped in. Well, the same is true spiritually with hearing the message of the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and what he is offering and what he requires in regards to our response to him. That is the light that people trapped in, trapped in spiritual darkness need to hear to find their way out of the darkness of their human soul. When a person accurately and thoroughly hears about Jesus and how that pertains to them, it's almost as if you could say then the doorway or the door of the dark human soul, when they hear the knowledge of the truth, the door of the dark human soul is then beginning to be opened as light then shines in to help them to come to a place of what they need to do in response. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness in creation who has shown into our hearts to give, listen, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says there to the Corinthians in the same way from creation, God spoke and he spoke light into existence and out of the darkness, God spoke light. He says in the same way, that's what needs to happen spiritually in people's hearts. Because our hearts are dark and depraved because of sin and our soul is darkened. And therefore, he says, God, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, shines light into our hearts and exposes to us who we are, our condition, who Jesus is and what he needs to do for us. Isn't it interesting what Jesus said of himself in John chapter eight? Jesus, remember, said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me he said, won't walk in darkness, but have the light of light. So as the knowledge of the Lord Jesus is presented, that truth supernaturally births or instills in a human heart inward confidence about Jesus in order to be able, as Paul says, verse 14, to believe in him. To therefore, once you, if you then choose to believe in him, only then once you understand and believe in him, would you then consider calling upon him to save you in a personal way from your spiritual condition. Now, Paul's saying here logically in verse 14 at the end of it, if it's true that people need to hear about Jesus to believe upon him and then call upon him for salvation, Paul logically concludes the end of verse 14. So therefore, how then shall they hear, he says, without a preacher? 
He makes a logical conclusion that somebody has to proclaim and announce the message to them. Both Jews and Gentiles needed a preacher, someone to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to them so that they would understand. Which brings us to a second thought. And in order for a message to be communicated, it needs to come through a messenger. People need the message, the clear presentation given to them. But Paul also says that also requires that someone would be willing to be a messenger to convey the message, to communicate what God needs to tell to people. Now, when we see that word, look at it, verse 14 there, preacher, all different kinds of ideas come to our minds. Some may be good, some may be negative, some may be pretty odd and peculiar. But when we typically hear the word preacher, we usually envision someone speaking from a pulpit, whether it's in a church service, whether it's in some type of an organized Christian meeting or venue. We picture someone specifically, let's say, called of God and anointed by God's spirit in some established way to communicate his word. Again, whether evangelists in crusades or pastor teachers or missionaries, those are the pictures we get. We say preachers, yes, missionaries and evangelists and pastors, they all fit the category of preachers. And certainly such individuals should be doing those things and should be engaged in those things as God calls them and equips them to do that in an established way. But understand this activity of preaching biblically is not limited exclusively to evangelists and missionaries and pastors. Uh, in fact, quite honestly, it's a wrong and erroneous idea for it ever to be conveyed as if they are the only ones who are competent, capable, and equipped to do such things, or wrongly as if they are the only ones who should perform such things. So therefore, we empower them and we pay them and we, because that's their job to be preachers and to do all the preaching. Uh, the Bible teaches quite the opposite. In fact, when you look at the root of this word that Paul uses their preacher in the original language, it's a term that's just a title that refers to someone who was a herald, someone who would make an announcement, who would convey information and present it verbally by making a proclamation of certain truths or information that needed to be shared. It's a term that was used in that day as a reference to the authorized representative who would come and proclaim a message given from their king or from the throne. The title that's used there for preacher uh, is a word of that authorized official who was sent from the throne to go down into the town square and to make an announcement. You know, you've seen this in movies, maybe or different things where, you know, a trumpet's blown and some guy in a goofy outfit, you know, goes and he opens up one of them scrolls. And he reads, you know, King George, you know, and, and hear his eda, and he just reads, not his message. He reads or just speaks a public proclamation to other people who are listening on behalf of the king who sent him with that message. That's the term that's described here. Now, that's important because that shows me something. Every Christian qualifies biblically to be a preacher, to be a herald to be someone who proclaims the message of the king. Guess why? Because we all have the same king. We all serve the same king. We've all been sent from the same king. We all have a clear understanding of this simple message of salvation that comes from King Jesus. 
And, and you know why we all are competent to do this? Because if you're saved, you had to hear the message, understand the message, and believe the message, and then you called upon the name of the Lord for your salvation. So if you understood it clear enough to respond to it for your own salvation, then whether you are confident in yourself, I assure you, you are competent to be able to communicate the same message of what you understood and how you got saved through your testimony and through a simple presentation of the gospel. Listen, you don't have to be able to, you know, quote 17 verses from memory and, you know, take people in this long, eloquent, just you simply communicate the gospel message that you understand and the way in which salvation came to you through Jesus Christ. And having now experienced it, you can serve. I can serve as a Christian, as an accurate witness, and as a faithful representative of Jesus. We are capable as Christians to announce that to others. We can all do it, and we should all be doing it according to God's intention for our lives. And I understand, listen, I understand some people do have, and it's biblical, a clear spiritual gifting for evangelism. That's scriptural. And some people do have a true spiritual gifting in the area of being an evangelist and evangelism. And you can usually tell. It's usually evident in their temperament. They're people who they just tend to always find an avenue into segueing to talk about the gospel uh, to people. I mean, they, you know, the person at the register at, 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 you know, at the grocery store says, uh, here's your change. And they say, speaking of change, did you know Jesus could change your life? And, you know, and, they, and in three minutes lead the, the teller to Christ right there in the middle of the uh, you know, shop right or whatever. And, and you can tell because they just have this temperament. There's just a real capability from the spirit of God, a, a strong desire for it. And, and there's a fruitfulness and a successfulness to the way they often interact with people and do that. So I understand that, that there's an evident gifting there. However, it's still something that we're all called to do. We're all capable to do. The Bible says we're all you know, sufficient ministers of the new covenant and to make spiritual proclamation of King Jesus is something any of us can announce. That's simple proclamation. It's not necessarily standing on a stage through a microphone behind a box, standing in the middle of a, you know, a park with a crowd of people. Just any of us can one-on-one -on -one make a simple proclamation and explain to people. And, and, and yes, our lives should speak as living witnesses to such things. They should. And that's first and foremost, that we should be witnesses before we start witnessing. Because we need to establish credibility with people. But be careful, because sometimes as Christians, you say, hey, well, you know, that talking thing is not really my thing. I just kind of live out my Christianity, man. I just, you know, I mean, other people, but, you know, I, I just kind of show my friends that I'm a Christian. That's how I, I just kind of, great, praise the Lord. But be careful, because the Bible is very clear. There is a time, too, when we need to open our mouth. And we need to make verbal communication. And for a lot of us, we just need to ask the Lord, give us boldness, give us courage. Lord, give us faith to be more, hear me, obedient in this area. Forgive me, Lord. I can be guilty of this. You know, it's easy to communicate from behind the pulpit because this seems like the, the right thing to do. But it's way difficult. Take away the pulpit and the microphone and people sitting in an assembly meeting. I'm just as terrified to stare another person in the eyes and, and talk to them about the things of the Lord and the condition of their soul. It's, it's a challenge for all of us. But it's an area that there is definitely an onus and a responsibility 
upon our lives. Well, Paul says, verse 15, and how shall they preach then, he says, unless they are sent. So notice those who are to go out and proclaim or announce the message, he says, they also need to be sent forth. How can they proclaim or announce unless they're sent forth to do it? The idea there is they must be authorized. You had to be authorized to be sent from the king or the throne to go out and make that proclamation there in the town square. You have to be empowered or enabled to speak on behalf of the throne. And Jesus has testified throughout the Gospels when we read them that this is indeed a part of his plan and that he has sent forth his disciples with his authority to speak and to preach and proclaim the gospel on his behalf. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the father has sent me, I also send you during Jesus's ministry. We see him. He calls 12 disciples to himself and it says he gave them power and authority and he sent them forth to preach and to minister. Later in Luke chapter 10, Jesus then expanded his outreach and evangelistic ministry because there in Luke 10, we read these after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So see, it was more than just a select group of an ordained 12 ministers. He sent out a group of 70 people and sent them two by two before his face into every city where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So Jesus, even before he ascended, what were his final words? Mark 16, Jesus says what? Go preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, you can write it in your notes. Many of you know, we call it the Great Commission where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me under heaven. And he says, go make disciples of all nations. That is, as you're going in all nations, everywhere you go, make disciples, teaching them to obey the things that I've taught you and baptizing them, naming the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. He says, I'm sending you, but he says, but I'll be with you. And my authority will be with you. My help and my assistance will be there. So clearly Jesus indicates that he has authorized us. We have been sent to make that proclamation. And I understand, again, in a strict sense, some are called anointed to do such. Understand, in a uh, an established way, again, my calling, what someone like a Billy Graham does, a Greg Laurie does, crusade. I understand in, a, in an established way, some are called and anointed to do that. In, in a strict sense, I understand that. However, in a broader sense, this opportunity and responsibility rests on all of us as Christians, as servants of the Lord. We are competent and capable. We have been commissioned and authorized with his authority. And the content of the message, let us remind ourselves, is not ours. We're simply stating what message the king has given to us. And whether it's well-received or utterly rejected, our role is just to announce the news. It is not our responsibility to configure the response, people's receptivity to the message or rejection. Hear me, it's not personal. This is where the devil deceives me and stumbles you because we take it personal. And then we get discouraged or frustrated 
the response is to Jesus and his message. We're just conveying what he said. Luke 10, 16, Jesus said, he who hears you, hears me. So don't get excited. Wow, I did a really good job. (laughs) No, you didn't. You just accurately conveyed the message. But he said, and he who rejects you, rejects me. So again, very important. We have a responsibility before God to participate in this I think in two ways. One is we're talking about to serve as messengers personally. We have a responsibility to serve as messengers personally. We have the Lord's authority and we need to remember that. Again, if you have authorization from higher up in the company to go and, and, and the corporate you know, top rank has given you authority to go and convey a message to other. If you have the authority of someone else behind you and what you have to say. It makes you feel a little more comfortable communicating it, even if it's hard to communicate, right? Because, hey, I have authority from the president. I have authority from the CEO. So there's a sense of a little more of an emboldenment that, hey, I'm just just passing the news along. And we need to know that spiritually. So we are to serve as messengers personally, asking the Lord for the help to be obedient to that. And I also think there's an aspect that we shouldn't ignore, that we also should be sending certain messengers out that God is called to do that in an established way. Whether it's, again, missionaries, evangelists, pastors, that, that we should partner with certain people, letting God use us as an instrument to help send out those who the Lord's sending out, maybe in that more established way, through praying for them, uh, through the provision of finances to help them and empower them in order to do what God has called them to do. Paul says, going on in verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul, to reinforce this declaration here, quotes now from Isaiah 52, a verse that was spoken to extol how precious and beautiful and wonderful it was when messengers would come bringing good news of deliverance to a people who were stuck in bondage. Now, the setting of Isaiah 52, where Paul quotes this proclamation from, the Jews had been in captivity in Babylon due to their sin. But there was coming a time in the very near future when God's deliverance was on the horizon, and God was going to get them out of that bondage. He was going to liberate them from the very imprisonment they found themselves in and set them free. So messengers were sent by God to go and tell the people in bondage that God had done something and had intended to set them free from their imprisonment and to to get them out of the bondage and condition that they were in and that in the near future, this was going to be experienced. Now, messengers in that day sent to announce things, they came on foot. So you would see them coming on foot over the horizon or you would hear their footsteps as they were coming to to bring a message. And, And the idea here is as you saw them coming, it was a beautiful thing that these messengers were coming to proclaim good news about peace, that this unrest and suffering that they had been going through in their imprisonment and God saying, look, tell them that there are peaceful days ahead. I'm going to bring peace to their wearied soul. I'm going to bring peace and establish peace with my people once again and, and tell them that there is glad tidings of good things on the horizon. And as these messengers were coming, this statement was made, those messengers who were willing to go and share that message. The Bible was saying how beautiful. 
that people would come and bring such a message of peace and glad tidings of the good things that God would do. And Paul was saying in connection to the gospel, that's much like when people choose to obey and bring the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. He's saying it's a really beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when we bring the good news about the peace that Jesus offers and we bring the message that brings gladness and true joy to people's hearts of what Jesus has done and his plan for them is. And, and, and when that happens, he says, it's a really beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for God to behold because he knows it's difficult for us. And yet that's his plan to use us. I don't understand. I'd probably use angels. They're a lot more obedient. They're smarter, they're stronger, they're more faithful. But God's chosen to use human beings as vessels to proclaim the gospel to one another of salvation. And I think it's because we experience salvation. And it's just like one cancer patient talking to another cancer patient. There is something of a connection that happens because if you've experienced it, you can, you can communicate on a whole depth of personal level. Angels don't experience salvation and redemption. Human beings do. So God says, boy, it's a really beautiful thing when someone who's been saved and redeemed tells someone else, listen, Jesus can do this for you too, and you need this. And God says, just such a beautiful thing to behold. Verse 16 goes on to say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So Paul here indicates verse 16, despite how beautiful the offer and opportunity is, for salvation through Jesus Christ because of free will and personal responsibility to respond. He reminds us some believed and responded to Jesus among Israel and many unfortunately rejected him as savior. Notice he says, verse 16, despite how beautiful the opportunity, he says, not all have obeyed the gospel. Now, isn't that interesting? Take note there how the Bible equates faith and obedience with similar terms. He doesn't say, look at verse 16, he doesn't say not all have believed the gospel. He says not all have obeyed. Isn't that interesting? The gospel. Again, I think it's because saving faith will always result in an obedient response. So God sees them much the same. And it takes sincere, genuine faith to obediently submit our proud and selfish hearts to the claims of the gospel and to submit to the righteousness that God provides for us rather than trying to offer to God our own religious works as righteous, to submit to letting Jesus take over the throne of your heart and bowing the knee to him as Lord and Savior. It, it takes obedient submission to that. And he quotes from Isaiah 53 there in verse 16, showing that even the rejection of Jesus by the nation of Israel predominantly when they did not believe God's report of who he was was not a shock to God. Do you see what he says there? He quotes from Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our report? The idea there, again, Isaiah 53, remember, is probably one of the clearest written out prophecies of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and his suffering for sin and, and, his, and his death. And, and, and it's one of the clearest written predictions God gave to the nation of Israel to see clearly who the Savior and the Messiah is. But here's what's interesting. The very first verse of Isaiah 53 is what Paul quotes here. But Lord, who's going to believe the report? 
Who's going to believe the report and the announcement of who Jesus is and who he will be and what he'll be like when he comes? That's so interesting. God, knowing humanity's ability to have such a hard heart, he was not even shocked by the rejection of Jesus Christ by many among the nation of Israel. It's almost as if God says here, even though I'm going to make this so clear and so obvious that I'm going to write it out so specifically 700 years before it ever happens to make it so evident and so obvious, he says, but yet still, who's going to believe the report of Jesus when he comes? It wasn't a shock to God. Even the rejection of man was not a shock to God. Paul says, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Paul emphasizes here to us the greatest way faith, belief, is stirred up in a human soul, the Bible says, is through hearing the word of God. Now, in connection to what we just talked about, that is why, no doubt, God gave such a clear prophetic description written out in Isaiah 53. That's why God gave such a clear prophetic element all throughout the old testament scriptures because through the word of god the nation of israel should have been able to then use the word of god having heard it and possessed it to validate very clearly who jesus was as their savior and messiah so that they would then embrace him through the faith that the word of god gave them to do such interesting god who created us and gave us the capacity to exercise faith God himself knows what is one of the most effective ways, therefore, to produce birth or generate faith in our hearts. And what does the Bible say there, verse 17? It's through hearing the word of God. Now, many times we think that it's through seeing miracles and signs and wonders and who hasn't heard it said or said themselves, if I could just see something. God, if you just give me a sign, some wonder, do some miracle. They told Jesus that. Do another sign. Do another wonder for us. And, and we think that to see is to believe. God says, actually, it's quite the opposite. It's when you believe, then you begin to see. And keep in mind the nation of Israel. What, what was their experience? They saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle parting of the Red Sea, water coming from rocks, manna coming from the miracle after miracle. And what was their biggest problem? Unbelief. The miracles didn't help them believe. Signs and wonders don't guarantee faith. Having experiences don't guarantee faith. Can they work sometimes? Yes. Can God affirm and develop faith in a heart through miracles and demonstrations of his power? Yes, they can work. But there's no guarantee, and the Bible's saying they're not the most reliable thing. They are not the most reliable, effective thing to cause faith within. The Bible says God's word. The hearing of the word of God is the thing that has the most powerful effect to produce faith in a human being's soul. Because there is, if you would, spiritual DNA encoded within the word of God. The Bible tells us regarding the scripture, the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's alive, it has power. Peter says it's like incorruptible seed. Within a seed, there's everything encoded within there in the DNA of it 
to sprout and bring forth life and growth and development. Jesus said in John chapter 6, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. See, this is so critical. As the spirit-inspired word of God is sown into people's ears and hearts, somehow the Bible just says that's what yields faith. That's what generates and produces faith in a person regarding saving faith. That's what generates faith to believe upon Jesus Christ for salvation. It's not necessarily, well, let's do a gospel drama. God could use a gospel drama, but a gospel drama necessarily isn't giving the word of God to people. People need the word of God in order to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the message of salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, that message, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Same applies to then continuing, growing faith. One of the greatest assets to growing in faith, the Bible tells us, is the scripture, the word of God. So I say this this morning in relation to us and application for our hearts. Hey, are, are you wanting to come to a place where you I'm not sure if I want to accept Jesus yet. And I'm re- listen, the greatest place to help yourself develop the faith that you need to put in Jesus Christ for salvation is you need to be open to hearing what the word of God has to say. That's what will help you come to a place where you put saving faith in Jesus Christ. As a Christian this morning, like me, do you desire your faith to grow, to increase? Do you wish you had stronger faith? Are you saying this morning as a Christian, you know, I want to grow in my faith. I really want to grow in my faith as a Christian. Well, look, God shows us right there how to do it. By taking more seriously, by uh, saying, I need to learn more about God from his word. By putting myself in a place where I hear God's word more consistently. Because when you hear the word of God, you learn about his nature and his ways and his works. And as you see more of who God is, you become more inspired to trust him. Because you see who he is. And you understand how he works. And you have then a factual, credible, reliable basis. Because you see how God's worked before as you hear and see his word. And therefore you say, oh, Well, then God will work the same today. I can believe him for it. He worked like that before. In my situation, he'll work the same. Hey, take note of this this morning. You can assure yourself this. My faith will always be in direct proportion to my personal participation in hearing the word of God. Let me say that again. My faith will always be in direct proportion to my personal participation in hearing the word of God. Oh, I, I want to grow in my faith. I wish I, had, I wish I was stronger in my faith. Well, how serious, how committed, how willing are you to be more disciplined and diligent about making sure you're hearing the word of God? Because that, the Bible says, is what will be the greatest help and asset. Paul says, verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Paul says, yes, indeed, their sound has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. But I say, verse 19, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I'll provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah, he says, is very bold, and he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask 
for me. So here, verses 18 to 20 could be a little confusing. What Paul's doing here is he's anticipating the typical argument that he would anticipate from the Jews who had rejected Jesus that wanted to dismiss personal responsibility for their rejection and not be held accountable. He pictures that in two questions he asks at the beginning of verse 18 and 19. Some would challenge that it's not fair. Some of the Jews say it's not fair that God would hold us personally accountable regarding the message of Jesus. They'd argue because we never heard those things. We never really heard those things. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, given plenty of opportunity. And, and then others would say, verse 19, and not only that, we didn't really know because it wasn't really clearly explained to us. That's the problem. Even if we heard it, it wasn't made clear enough for us to really know and understand what was being shared. And Paul's saying through these verses, he quotes, that's not true. Your own scriptures validate that that's not true is what Paul's trying to say. Again, he knows the power of the word of God. He says those excuses aren't going to hold up to those who say they have not heard. Paul says there in verse 18, yes, indeed, they have. Yes, indeed, they have. And he quotes Psalm 19, where the sound of God's word has gone out into all the earth, Paul says, and their words to the ends of the world, proving how God has not left any part of the world without adequate witness of himself. Even creation, Psalm 19 says, testifies to God's existence everywhere on the planet. God's voice has gone out into all the earth, his words and message to the ends of the world. And Paul uses that as a basis. His point, God cannot be fairly blamed that the Jews did not get a chance to hear. Truth be told, Paul would say, the Jews were the first ones to hear. And they heard more than anybody. They heard more than anybody in all creation. God always makes sure people have adequate opportunity to hear the message of salvation again and again and again. And to those who would say the second thing Paul addresses, well, we just didn't really know. We didn't quite understand. It wasn't clear enough. It wasn't evident enough to see. He quotes in verse 19 and 20 from Deuteronomy 32 and Isaiah 65, speaking of how the gospel was offered to the Gentiles once the Jews rejected it nationally. And, and let's look at these verses in the reverse order. It helps connect the dots a little. First of all, verse 20, he says, Isaiah was bold. Isaiah 65 saying, I, God declared, I was found by those who did not seek me and was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. In other words, what God was saying there is, hmm, that's interesting. From my perspective here in heaven, from what I see, I've revealed myself pretty continuously and pretty obviously to everyone in creation. In fact, even people who were hardly looking for me, the Gentiles who had very little revelation of all the spiritual privileges the Jews did. He says, interesting, it seems that many of them were finding me. They were discovering the simple truths of salvation because he did manifest himself adequately. And then coming back to verse 19, what Paul also reinforces that Moses declared, he's saying, in fact, the Gentiles being offered salvation and getting saved so rapidly what the Bible shows us was actually another loving effort by God to try and reach the Jews also. He says there, quoting Deuteronomy 32, God said, I'm going to provoke you, the Jews, to jealousy by those who are not a nation. 
And I'm going to move you to anger by a foolish nation. Here's what's being said. God wanted Israel to see and to know and understand so badly that not only did he give them all the privileges of the law and the prophets and the sacrifices and the Messiah coming to them, but God even had another plan set in place, which was once they rejected him as a nation, he would then bring the gospel to the Gentile nations. And as the Gentile nations would begin to get saved and experience salvation, God knew that would provoke the Jews to jealousy to go, wait a minute. How are these people accepting our God? These people know more about the Bible than we do. And, and God knew that would be something to stir up, almost like jealousy, where an older brother passes up the opportunity. So the father says, okay, then I'll take your little brother. Take him. I never, hey, I offered you a chance. Romans 11 is going to talk more about this. Paul's main point is God did offer the nation of Israel all the opportunity they needed. And in relation to us today, can I say this? God hasn't changed. People offer the same excuses. Oh, I never really heard before. Or it just, it wasn't clear enough. Nobody really explained it to me. And God gives everyone adequate opportunity. He thoroughly, repeatedly makes sure that everybody hears. And he always makes sure that it is very evident and clear. And it's not fair or accurate to blame God somehow that we didn't hear or understand the salvation message. Look what he says finally, verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So Paul quotes Isaiah 65 to their giving, let me say this, God's accurate assessment of what really was going on. The accurate assessment was the problem, as he says, is that the people were guilty of being disobedient and contrary, stubborn, the ideas. Though they're God's chosen people and he has a future plan for Israel, we'll talk about it in the next chapter. As a nation, they were given so many spiritual privileges and opportunities, but God's assessment is, but they became proud and they became stubborn and they became disobedient. We're guilty of disobedience to God's will and word and voice and God did all he possibly could to reach them, to reveal himself to them, especially in Jesus. But they chose to rebel and they chose to disobey. And they personally, in their stubbornness, took their own path. God says that's the real truth. Now, in light of that, please notice this. Look at God's persistence. Yet God says, verse 21, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to them. Now, it's amazing to me that God would stretch out his hands to any of us in humanity. How much harder is it to stretch out your hands in an invitation to people who are rejecting you constantly and continuously refusing you and severely mistreating you? How hard must that be? But yet God in his persistence kept stretching out his hands saying, please come. You can still come. Hey, this morning, can I ask you to consider a few things? Nobody enjoys rejection, right? We talked about that. But look how patient and loving and persistent God is with people, even though they reject him. Hey, maybe you're here this morning and you've been rejecting the Lord continually. You won't accept his salvation. Or maybe you're a Christian. and You've kind of been rudely rejecting the Lord in your life recently. Hey, can I encourage you? 
look at the Bible here, there's still opportunity to come. God's hands are stretched out saying, look, yeah, yes, you've been rejecting me. But the door's still open. Come. I'm still willing to receive you. I've been persisting with your disobedience. And look, if you keep choosing to refuse, I can't assure you when the door and the invitation is going to close. Don't refuse too long. God's offering the opportunity. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've been dealing with the rejection from other people in your life, hurtful mistreatment, I can tell you somebody who understands rejection. That's God. And he can give you the love and the grace to keep persisting if someone has been rejecting you and hurting you to keep loving them the way that he loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.